Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey, Solar Warrior. For those of you joining us on the day this published, <laughs> I hope that you are sufficiently stuffed if you're here in the United States where we're celebrating Thanksgiving. And for all of our listeners and friends around the world, I want to express my deep, deep gratitude for you and our life and helping keep Suncast going. We genuinely can't do this without you. Otherwise, I'd be speaking into a dark, formless void. Thank you for helping this voice come back around and remind me that it's worth it. I want to honor that and say I'm grateful for you today. Happy Thanksgiving, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. All right, welcome back, Solar Warriors. Thank you so much for lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource you've got is your time. I promise to take good care of it. I promise you will get value out of the time that you put in here. And I'm really honored that you are doing that. You could be doing anything. So not lost on me that you've chosen to hit play. We're going to make your time efficient and effective. If you're new here, I pray that you'll listen all the way through to the end. It's a fun format that we've proven out over 400 episodes and I'd love your feedback. I'd love you to just give us a rating and review if you do find this useful and interesting or just share it with someone else that you think would learn from it. I first met today's entrepreneur more than a decade ago. Uh, He and I both can hardly believe that much time has flown by. We were both relatively young whippersnappers uh, relocating to the Bay Area from our respective careers. Yunus Scully is the co-founder of a company that several of you probably in the Bay Area and maybe across the U.S. and the world have heard of called Everybody Solar, which proudly serves organizations that are looking to bring clean energy to their nonprofit activity. It's a often overlooked sector. It's one that many of us have tried to figure out. And I'm really proud of Jonas and his team for spending the last decade helping nonprofits get solar predominantly and increasingly storage on their buildings. He's the organization's first executive director and has guided them through the last decade. We're here today to celebrate 10 years of everybody solar. If you like what you hear in this episode, and I promise you're going to learn some things about how the solar industry works, but also how your passion can become a passion project while still keeping your day job. If you like that kind of thing, then you're in the right place. I hope that you'll lean in to our twice-weekly content just like this. We've got more than 400 additional founder stories and startup advice. You can find it all over at mysuncast.com. But for now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, as I mentioned, my friend Jonas and I have known each other for a decade, not always super connected, but certainly following one another's careers. It's been a pleasure to watch how everybody solar has gone from idea and inception to populating 
many, many rooftops of nonprofits throughout the Bay Area and beyond. I'm excited to have my friend Dionis here on Suncast. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for bringing me on. It's really an honor. Like you say, crazy. It's been 10 years knowing each other and I look forward to seeing what we can do, what you're going to do and what we're going to do here with Everybody Solar over the next decade as well. Indeed, man. Congratulations. It's a huge milestone. You know, you've been diligently plodding away in your career as a CPA for more than 15 years from financial management and accounting to investing in the solar industry. You and I have watched as this industry has really boomed. I'd love to get a sense from you about that first moment of inspiration when you realized there was something more than just, you know, seeing solar panels on houses and along the sides of the road in California where we were both living. But you you had that spark of inspiration that you were going to lean in and actually do something in the solar industry. Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, I'm a CPA. My background has been like finance accounting, and that was what I was doing back in the early 2000s. Uh, That was my degree, my focus area. Um, But growing up, I was always a huge fan of Carl Carl Sagan, science in general, and kind of the vision he, he laid out about you know, our need to protect the planet. So it really came at, you know, at that point of, I like doing analytical work. I like crunching numbers, but I also wanted to see, you know, I knew, yeah, we were seeing a lot of solar pop up in California, even in the early 2000s, but I knew it had to be a lot more and faster. And I wanted to be involved and see how I could help, you know, in my small way to move the industry forward and to, to move the planet forward. I always wondered what drew you to the Bay Area. Uh, did it have to do with what we both perceived as the impending solar boom or was it job related? And I'll note that through it all, like growing Everybody Solar, which we'll talk about today, 10 years, you've actually managed to really focus and hone in on a career as a CPA while also running this nonprofit. So we'll explore some of that. But what brought you to the Bay Area? Yeah, so kind of like 2007 through 2010-ish, I was working at a local um, investment management firm in San Diego. That's kind of 2010, I think, was when I first had the idea for Everybody Solar. So I was there. Uh, Really good firm, good people there. Uh, A manager at the time was, he was kind of straight with me saying, you know, this is, everyone loves working here, but you're young. You're not going to get promoted for a while because older people aren't leaving. It's too good of a job. Um, so you have a lot of potential. Definitely don't like let this job hold you back. I was already interested in kind of moving to the Bay Area and had kind of started initial planning of starting Everybody Solar at that point. It kind of seemed like uh, the perfect time. My partner, my girlfriend at the time, she was also wanting to move to the Bay Area. So that was an added push that helped, of course. Um, but I decided around that point to just quit and move up to the Bay Area, not knowing what I would do for like financial purposes going forward. But I was, you know, I had enough savings. I was felt comfortable just quitting and kind of spending some time. Once I moved up here, basically the first six months I was here, just working on everybody's solar and, and growing that idea. I remember you said that uh, you, you didn't want to just sit behind spreadsheets all day. That just resonates in my mind. I'm not sure when or how I got that information from you, but you, if I'm not mistaken, you started looking at nonprofits that you could lean into. Uh, I think if I'm right, you worked with Bill McKibben's organization. Tell me a little bit about your decision to move towards 
both the nonprofit side of the business and then and eventually forming your own nonprofit to solve the problems that you saw? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I was, you know, I wanted to definitely do more than just stare at spreadsheets. I feel like I have other skills I can add to the table. So I first started, you know, before even starting Everybody Solar, I started wanting to get involved with nonprofit, you know, with solar energy. I'm not an engineer. uh, So my background there wasn't, wasn't like I could join a company and be helping in that way, but I'm pretty analytical and you know, I love solving problems. So I I thought, well, why don't I get involved? And I started volunteering, you know, with organizations like 350, Bill McGibbons organization, and, you know, which was great, but I also wanted to see, like, can we do anything tangible, right? I'm probably from that math mindset, I want to see like tangible things. Uh, And so I, I did do a volunteer work on one install for a solar it was actually uh, for a nonprofit here in North Beach in San Francisco, uh, Telegraph Hill. Was that grid? It wasn't a grid program. Um, I think the organization, they were called Three Degrees. They don't exist anymore, I don't believe, but mm-hmm. they have. They supported us initially when we were starting because I, I really wanted to pick the, the brain of the founder and how he came to do it. Um, it was, I was, at the time, I had already thought everybody's willing to focus on nonprofits but he, uh, founder there, did that for at least that project, and so that really w- it was inspiring. And to get on the roof as a volunteer, that's how I helped. Was just you know m- moving panels, uh, getting my hands wet, not literally, but you know getting yeah. some uh, some actual experience with yeah. what it looks like, and that that just inspired me even more and for the passion of yeah, I want to see the physical manifestation i'm all for you know organization like vote vote solar and needing to push legislation Mm -hmm. in that aspect i think that's really important but for me and what where my passion lies it's more in let's make physical projects happen and help people in that way yeah yeah it resonates and it's uh reminds me of the conversations i've had numerous uh grid folks as well including the the founder erica and there's this desire to bring what we know is possible for, I would say like corporates and even the wealthier parts of society to those who are in service of others or who are operating in that, that continual cycle of, of not having enough resources to do what they want to do. It's a fantastic benefit for most nonprofits to be able to lower their OPEX through uh, clean, reliable, virtually free electricity. Were you a homeowner or a renter like millions of others in the Bay Area at the time? I was a renter, and that was also kind of the part of the idea behind the organization was as a renter and, you know, a longtime renter, and lots of us are in the Bay Area, I could beg and plead my the, the landlord to install solar, but that's going to be in his own, his or her own, own financial interest, right? So not being able to go solar myself. I thought, well, how else can we deploy solar and how can I help other people who are in the same position, you know, whether it's a panel at a time, go solar. Yeah, I mentioned Grid and those who are familiar know that Grid helped families go solar, in particular low to moderate income families. But you decided to take everybody solar in a different direction. It's one that I find intriguing. You specifically focus on the niche of helping other nonprofit organizations. Can you unpack that for me? Yeah. So basically that's what the organization does. We're a nonprofit 501c3 charity that focuses on helping other 501c3 nonprofits and to 
to an added degree now recently working with national parks as well and helping those organizations go solar and helping them do more of what they do. So our first project was for a um, organization in the peninsula in Redwood City called Rebuilding Together Peninsula. And they help remodel homes or fix homes for, for low-income folks who can't afford to do that themselves. So it's not quite like a habitat for humanity. They're not building new homes, but they, they fix the homes, they do repairs, roof repairs, all the needed things. But they have their own headquarters and costs and a big part of their operational cost at the time was going to electricity. So, you know, the idea behind our organization is how is to help them lower their costs, go green, go solar, and at the same time, you know, be able to save money to do more of what they're doing. I'd love to really understand as you were thinking about putting together the nonprofit, what were some of the early struggles and how did you think about leveraging your existing skills to get into the solar industry? What were the things that were logical extensions of your work? And what were the areas where you had to really think about how to build infrastructure resources and team around you? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, early on, you know, no one knew who we were and we had no track record. So the hard, hard part or one of the hardest parts was convincing an organization to take a leap of faith and say, yeah, this is a $50,000 project. We've done nothing or 50 to $75,000 solar install, uh, but we're going to help you raise the funds. We're going to raise the funds for you. We're not going to poach any of your existing donors. We're going to find you new donors who are interested in solar energy and help you, you know, go solar and save on that for at least the next 25 years. Right. Uh, so originally it was a hard finding an organization. You know, we did a lot of door knocking or, you know, talking to friends who worked in nonprofits to see, hey, you know, do you have a roof? Do you have a high energy cost? Would you be interested in talking to us? That was difficult without the proof of concept. We, and kind of how we got around that or eventually broke through with this rebuilding together peninsula was through just getting to know people. And I think that's how I got to know you, Nico, was getting involved, going to things like inner solar, going to different solar events for sure and and meeting you know whoever I could and learning from them and what they were doing in the industry and eventually those connections led to a connection with Sean O'Shaughnessy who was the executive director of rebuilding together peninsula at the time she believed in us and and believed as a new nonprofit what what our vision was and wanted to help us get there by helping them go solar so you know you owe a huge thanks to her I had not considered really the difficulty in finding an organization that would trust you to not go after their donors. <laughs> that, uh, that's a really interesting wrinkle. Uh, how did you go about attracting board members? You know, Liz O from Solar Marketing Group is on the board, a no, number of others that are notable. But how, how did you think about really surrounding yourself and, and your partner and your early team with folks that helped kind of both open doors and guide you in this world of nonprofit where you arguably didn't have direct experience yet. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, again, my, my strengths were the analytical, the number side, but I definitely don't, didn't have much experience in marketing. You know, you mentioned Liz O or other solar energy aspects, such as the design phase. We've got, you know, Emmett Maranker who worked for a long time at Civic Solar is on our board. Um, So just, Getting to meet folks who, you know, I really like as part of the, pro- uh, 
the deal, right? And then finding people who work well together, but who also have, they have all bring, I feel like we have a great board. Some of them bring a nonprofit experience. Some of them bring a corporate sustainability experience, but that developed over time, just kind of getting to know people. Eventually people, as we started doing projects, you know, our current president of our board is a former commander in the Navy actually. And he found us and was interested in finding out more about every solar because we did a, a solar project near him for an organization called uh, the, Sci- the Science Center in Ithaca, New York. So he lives in upstate New York and he, he kind of wanted to do something similar and then saw, oh wait, they did a project right down like the street. I, used, I take my kids to this science center. So when he saw that, he kind of reached out and he's been more and more involved over time. And you know, for him, he doesn't have a background in solar, but he has great leadership and corporate experience. So just bringing people with different experiences to, you know, to the table, I think that's helped us a lot in our journey. Yeah. I've, I've talked with a number of nonprofit founders and, and one of the early pieces, as you rightly pointed out, that is a hard hurdle is getting that first tranche of capital Oftentimes it'll come in the form of grants. Sometimes it'll come in the form of benefactors that through time and network, you're able to convince that you have a compelling business uh, opportunity or or rather uh, sort of charitable opportunity in many cases. How have you structured everybody solar and and gone about that, um, that cash flow process to keep it sustainable for a decade? Which if we think about it just as a business, most businesses die within three years. You're an accountant, you know this all too well. So- how do you feel you've structured everybody solar from a business perspective to help it maintain progress and, and stick around for 10 years and likely very much longer than that? Yeah, for sure. It was a, it's a difficult puzzle in the beginning. And like you, you rightly mentioned that initial capital for a nonprofit that's never done anything and doesn't have any donor base. How do you kind of start, start from zero? I think I was lucky and this is sort of what you were, um, we kind of mentioned of being having that passion project on the side. I was lucky where I'm, I was able to keep focused. And after that first six months of, of not working and focusing solely on everybody solar, I did take a part-time CPA gig to start paying the bills. And I was lucky enough to be able not to pay myself through everybody solar, which I'm not saying that's right. I think people of nonprofits should, you know, do great work and should get paid. But just starting the organization, we were able to start on a really shoestring tech budget and not spend more than we were ever making. So kind of, and then slowly over time, now we have, you know, a full-time operations director who is paid salary. We have other contractors that we're able to pay, but it was slowly over time building up that network of grantors, donors, other people who want to see us succeed and not going, you know, too far over our skis originally by just, you know, following maybe like a Silicon Valley type of approach of spend, spend, spend and gain followers that way. Uh, we didn't have that luxury of backing and I don't know, you know, some nonprofits could go that route, but that definitely didn't work, wouldn't have worked for us. I have a slightly marketing oriented kind of fun question geared towards the fundraising side of it. You know, as a, as someone who's been involved in both physical and online uh, virtual events, as well as part of nonprofits, one of the things is you have to think about the um, I want to say gamification, but sort of making int- making it interesting to be a part of the fundraising process. I- I'm curious on two levels. One, do you remember 
the specific conversation where you guys decided that your sponsor levels would be named after Greek gods and why? And then the second is, is there anything in particular over the last 10 years that you've learned about uh, about fundraising as a nonprofit that you think would be would be useful for others who are thinking about the same correct question uh, for their own nonprofit? It's a great question. Yeah, I don't remember the specific conversation. I know Mir- me and Miriam, who was our operations director, and my sister Miriam Scally, who came up with came up with that idea. I think it started with, you know, what are different? We don't want to just do gold, silver, bronze, something like that. You know, wanted to be a little bit more appealing, and the Greek gods, of course, I think our highest level is Helio. You know, so having different levels of you know the gods that kind of relate to to the sun, right? Apollo reaching yeah. up at the sun, those different gods. It kind of just came naturally. I think actually Miriam, I'll give her credit. I think she was the one who came up with the idea. I really liked it, and we developed it from there. And from a you know, marketing perspective, I think having sort of ways that people can get involved that are more fun it, it's good. And that's something we're always thinking about and working on. I think there's some organizations do a great job. We don't have enough installs per year to, for example, do what Grid does and have a big volunteer crew all the time, especially because they're spread out in different areas. So how do we get people involved? I mean, there's I've got many ideas of things we could do better even in terms of, you know, the gamification as you talk about. I really want, you know, when someday when we have the capital to have everyone have their own user login. So you gave a hundred dollars. Well, you could see, it would be great to be able to see what project you gave to and how much kilowatt hours are associated to, to that donation. Right. That's fantastic. For those who maybe haven't gone to your website, we'll leave you with some tidbits that you can share at your next interesting dinner. Maybe it's Thanksgiving or, or somewhere around there by the time this is published. So uh, the, many know Zeus, the Greek king of the gods, Helios, of course, in our industry, we'll know as the Greek god of the sun. Apollo, Greek god of light, followed by, is that Nera, N-E-A-E-R-A? Yeah, I think that's how it's pronounced. Yep. Nera, the Greek goddess of the rising sun. There's another interesting, fascinating tidbit if you want. I, I like to trick my kids with uh, funky spellings of things. So N-E-A-E-R-A is Nera. Eos is the Greek goddess of the dawn, and obviously Archimedes, the Greek astronomer. I want to make a, and I rarely do this, but right in the middle of the interview here, I want to just make a call out that uh, we're we're missing one level of sponsorship, and that is the rising sun. Uh, so if you are thinking about supporting everybody solar, and somebody that's listening should be thinking about it, I would challenge you to at least consider filling the gap in the NARA level sponsor. And I just wanted to note that notably, PopSockets is one of your supporters. That is fantastic. It's cool. They have had designers, artists who basically volunteer and donate and choose us. And they, you know, created different pop sockets. Uh, this I'm holding up no one way. with the sun uh, on it. And there's like another one, another two, two that I've purchased. And then they give us, a, you know, anything that is dedicated to everybody solar. And we get something like, I think they're $15 and we get like $5 per one. That's that amazing. Sold. Can yeah, I? Just, can I, so I've wanted forever to make a branded pop socket because our Suncast logo is like, you know, it's, I don't know if we'll ever do show these on video, but like that little sun, right? That, yeah. that has the sun cast in the middle. Let's see if, there we go. It's perfect for a pop socket, right? And I would love to have pop socket make one and then, and have all the sales 
basically like I would just donate the sales to everybody sold it. That would be fantastic because it would serve a real cool purpose that I've always wanted. Could you help me make that happen? Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'll reach out. We'll see if we can make that. Yeah, make yeah. that happen. Make, let's get that podcast right. logo it, on. Right, if, we did get, if we did make that happen, then I'll mention it in the outro here. So just to keep, you know, listen through the end. And if we did make that happen, I'm relying on you guys to go buy them so we can help support everybody solar and my buddy Eunice. But uh, that's that's fantastic. I didn't anticipate that was going to happen in this call, but I've I've really been thinking for a long time. I've got a pop socket on my phone and I think about it. So every day I think about it. Uh, it says podcast network because that's another thing that we're working on. But but I'd love to know what specific areas were particularly helpful or needed from you know understanding and helping the industry a- as you were thinking about your skill set and where you wanted to lean in from a nonprofit perspective. And I'm thinking here from the perspective that you, it's effectively a startup and a lot of the value that your early clients get was the value that you could bring to the table, right? Right. So, I mean, the value I was trying to bring to the nonprofits, it's a pretty easy value proposition. We help you raise the funds. Don't poach your donors and you get, you know, we'll, we'll find new grant sources, new donor sources, and you get solar and it's going to offset your, you know, you own the system, don't have to pay anything for it. And it saves you funds there. Uh, the value proposition, though, for, say, somebody involved in solar industry was, is this, an, you know, finding another way that people can really be involved that are interested? I often hear solar people going through school who are trying to get involved, you know, our engineers and they, you know, they want to volunteer and look over our designs and things like that. So, which has been very helpful and, and been great. And I think the value there has really been finding that as a way of a connector between the industry and, and nonprofits, you know, we've made those relationships. And I think that's, that's what's really helped us get projects funded is in those relationships in the solar industry whether it's a donor like a Jinko Solar donating modules or Enphase donating inverters, we've been lucky enough to have major donors come through um, on the corporate side. And I think that that doesn't happen without getting to know people and just having them believe in what we're trying to do. Yeah, it's phenomenal to have folks like Jinko and Enphase come along and support in that way. I have to imagine, though, as well, a lot of these nonprofit directors and operations teams maybe don't have the accounting chops. They don't know how to do the analysis. You must have had an ch- opportunity to step in there and really crank crank through that with them, help them understand the financial models as well. Yeah, that's, that's true. For nonprofits, they often, I think they're too busy. You know, the, the people running them are usually overburdened and overstretched in time. They don't have the time to do the analysis even if they could. And then just having somebody with a financial literacy to understand, well, this is what this these three different proposals mean. And we've even had projects in the past with nonprofits that are on our website because after going through those conversations, the nonprofit realized, oh, we can afford this on our own. We don't need you to fund this for us. The ROI makes sense. Wow. We're going to go for it, though, and thank you for the help, right? And that's something we still feel good about because that's another organization going solar. Uh, we didn't need to fundraise for it in this instance, right? I have to imagine, and I'll keep plumbing the depths here of, because I think that there are a lot of folks in particular in our industry, and especially as we see more success in our industry, more folks are thinking, how can they be charitable? How can they start their own foundations? They're leaning into either giving to someone like Everybody Solar, or they already have their own uh, foundation or nonprofit, and they're still just sort of trying to figure out where they're at. So I appreciate if you just uh, humor me in some of these questions back to the founding principles. But I'm curious, 
where along the process were you in upon reflection, particularly naive about what you were getting into? Well, definitely naive that it would be easy to raise the funds, right? Or, and easy to find the nonprofit initially. Like I, I, I guess I didn't think it was going to necessarily be easy, but it didn't know how difficult it would be, right? It's like, oh, we'll build a great website, people will find it, um, and the idea will make sense. But knowing how to clearly, I think I was naive about communicating it, right? Because often people come to our website and they're like, oh, you're like, we, they don't, you know, oh, can you help me residentially go solar? And it's like, well, if that's a great question. Unfortunately, no, we can't. But if if that's kind of the first question you come when you see our website, we're probably not communicating what we do very well, right? So communicating our what our niche in the organization you know is, and then just knowing that it's it's really it takes that persistence to keep the organization going to get something going like that, and and you have to have the patience and also you know either some way to 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 make it through the early years, because again, and I don't fault anyone, when you're a new organization, you don't have a track record, how do you go, how do you get that track record without a track record, yeah. right? Yeah, and there are these forced constraints, right? That you don't have the capital, you don't have the track record, uh, you're coming into it naively, frankly, doing things that in hindsight, uh, you would have done differently, but would have resulted in a different outcome. I'm curious, from the perspective that this is all entrepreneurship, what constraints forced you to be a smarter entrepreneur? I think those, the, both those constraints you're talking about, definitely like knowing that, okay, we, we need to build our tracker and how do we take time to do that and, you know, do it right and kind of building something transparent from the beginning so that we can build trust over time. Um, as well as that, you know, I think the scope itself, like you asked in the beginning, why did we decide to go like different route than grid alternatives? At the time, actually, we had the idea, I didn't even, I hadn't yet known about grid alternatives and uh, the great work they're doing. But in my mind, it was, what is something we can, because we thought about, oh, can we do low income housing? And, it, and it, to, to me, to, to value, to scope that was another hurdle in terms of who qualifies, who doesn't, how do we uh, test and and check all that? And I'm sure Grid has a great system, but for me, it was like, well, if we focus solely on 501c3 organizations and do bigger projects, those will be easier to evaluate and kind of keep our focus in on, on that model. Yeah. Not to put you in the box, but most of the accountants I know aren't particularly strong around PR and marketing was that a constraint for you, and how and how if so did, was it useful? Yeah, so as an accountant, we have our our strengths and our weaknesses for sure. I've always tried to broaden my horizons, but also I think to grow any organization as an entrepreneur, you have to realize where where you have your blind spots and what you're not good at. Mm-hmm. So eventually, relying on other people, you know, taking my hands off the wheel and trusting others that they could you know, this is my vision for the organization, but what's you, how do we get there? Um, and trusting their, their expertise and letting them drive instead of constantly keeping my hands on the steering wheel. That was mm-hmm. a big learning, big jump for me. You're probably familiar with Energy Toolbase. I mean, nearly 1500 organizations worldwide utilize ETB developer to quantify the savings and economics of their projects. But did you know that ETB provides a comprehensive suite of software products to help model 
control and monitor solar and energy storage projects all in one platform. That's right. I know you're probably familiar with their industry-leading modeling, but controls, monitoring? Yeah. Acumen EMS software is actually fully integrated with energy storage giants like BYD, Delta, Dynapower, and Sokomec, leveraging AI and machine learning to forecast, control, and optimally discharge energy storage systems operating in the field. Or maybe you are looking for ETB Monitor to gain complete transparency into the operational performance and true dollar savings of your operating fleet. Well, if I were you, I'd schedule a Zoom with one of ETB's knowledgeable account managers. You can mention Suncast when you sign up for your free trial and you get a 30-day extended free trial. You can also just click on the tool-based logo at mysuncast.com or in our newsletters or right there in the description of today's episode in whatever app you're listening to this on to take full advantage of this free trial. Don't wait. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to just let you know how much of an impact you have on Suncast. Yeah, you. Thank you for clicking play. Without you, this show is just me shouting into the void. But there's still people who don't even know about Suncast. I know. I can hardly believe it myself. (laughs) But that's where you can help me yet again. There's a simple way that you can show some love and help others discover the show. If you cruise over to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast. I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and enthusiastic review. That's possibly the single kindest thing that you could do for me today. So if the show has helped, inspired, or even entertained you at all, I'd love it if you would head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and give me a virtual two thumbs up. All right, back to today's episode. You know, so I'm going to back up, you know, quite a bit time-wise, but I'd like to dig in a bit and better understand the background that maybe informed your thinking as an entrepreneur. It's very clear that you do come at this from an entrepreneurial mind. You had this desire and drive. I'm curious where that comes from. Tell me a little bit about your parents and the kind of work that they were involved in when you were coming up. Yeah, both of my parents uh, were architects growing up. They actually had their own architectural firm in Morocco when I was living there. I moved to the U.S. when I was three. But my dad and my mom and dad met in Brussels in architecture at their architecture university there. And then they started their own firm together. My mom was always the analytical one and the, the great architect from a technical standpoint. Uh, but you always would also admit that my dad was the one who could get the business because he had more of a business mindset. And I think that worked well for them. Um, and I, I guess I try to learn from both of them. I definitely get my math skills and things like that. Not that my dad's bad at math, but my mom was the one who taught me all that and uh, appreciate that. And I try to get some of the big picture mindset that my dad has when it comes to business as well. That's fascinating. And for yourself, were there any early signs that maybe you had that entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah, growing up, my uh, best friend and I, who live right across the street, would love to come up with different entrepreneurial schemes, whether it was originally the lemonade stand or, you know, we used to go to Costco and, and buy in bulk the, the candy bars that they had there. And I remember at some point doing, you know, doing the math and being like, oh, the candy bars if we buy, you know, are like 40 cents a pop if we buy them in bulk and we can sell them for a dollar uh, walking around the neighborhood and people will buy them from us because we're cute little kids. Uh, so that's how I 
you know, I did my original, you know, baseball collecting, uh, baseball and basketball card collecting was from that money we earned. Uh, and at the time it was, yeah, the, the goal was to start our own, uh, you know, comic book and, and baseball card store. So I was always thinking about starting my own business. <laughs> I love it. Big dreams. I have to admit I, I, there, I didn't have that entrepreneurial bug early in life. It was, it was definitely not until my probably early twenties that I started even really thinking about and dwelling on. I came from an entrepreneurial family uh, and I can't ever say that I thought about leveraging my parents' money to make my own money. I had friends who cut grass and did all kinds of things. Most of my time was spent working in my dad's business or working in my uncle's business. Uh, I was taught to be, I guess, an, uh, a worker early in life. It just goes to show how important it is to be around uh, how, how much of an impact the right mindset or the right environment can make on who you can become, you know? Definitely. You're now spending, you know, a fair amount of time paying the bills as a CPA and running everybody solar. How do you think about the constraints on your time from an executive director perspective at everybody solar with regard to your work? And how do you balance the two of those? It's a constant, constant balance and constantly trying to find ways uh, to better manage my time. I think uh, one of the questions I was thinking about was like, what books have you read recently? And I, a great one I'll throw out there is uh, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. Um, it's a book I just recently read. And it, it's what's great about that one, um, Oliver Berkman's the author, I'll throw that in. It, it's the only first time management book that I've ever read that also goes with the truth of, hey, you have a limited amount of time on earth and you're not going to get everything, everything done probably. Uh, 4,000 weeks is like the average. If you live 8 to 80, that's about how many weeks you would get, right? So while that's sort of morbid sounding, it's it's sort of freeing when you think about you have the, your goals and things you want to get done in a day, but you, maybe you're not going to get up to all of them and that's okay. You just have to be able to pick up to prioritize and get back to it to what's important the next day. And I always try to focus on that and just know, because often I'm, I'm over, I have too many tasks and things to do than I can possibly fit into a 24 hour day. So how do I do that? Keep my sanity, um, keep my fiance from leaving me, those kind of things. <laughs> Both super important. It's a relatively new book, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. I, I liked, as I was thinking about, I'm always thinking on wordplay as a marketer for K is 4,000 and W for weeks, 4KW. It just sort of <laughs> makes sense that oh. in the solar industry, we should read uh, 4KW. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll definitely, we'll definitely earmark that book. Uh, I, I found a really interesting article as I was listening to you that was written about the book in the New York Times called Life is Short. What are you going to do about that? Uh, I'll share that as well. Jonas, tell me something that's true for you that very few people would agree with you on. I guess to the point we were talking about earlier, I challenge the thought of just specializing in one area is a good idea. You know, I think we don't know necessarily, like even as a CPA, there are areas that now as an accountant, AI is going to take over more and more, right? And if you're an engineer or whatever your, your, your focus is, the, the world's changing fast. So I think the broader kind of set of skills you can bring to the table, the more you're going to be ready for that changing world. We're jumping into a lot of books here, but I'm going to note David Epstein's book, Range, if you haven't read it. 
speaks exactly to that point, why journalists triumph in a specialized world. And it is a really, really interesting read on how, uh, on the the differentiation between generalists and specialists and uh, different periods of life and different applications of skills. And it's a well worth the you know four or five hour audiobook at least investment of of time. So I'll, I'll link to that one as well. But I, I'm happy that you mentioned this not this notion of challenging this this idea the idea of specialization that certainly for our generation and for sure the baby boomers and 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 Gen Xers before us were were taught and given. It's probably even a telltale sign uh, in the digital age. <laughs> of someone who decided not to be a coder, for example, it's kind of like you're either coding or you are generalist. Generalist, <laughs> you're, even finance, you, you can be very, very deep, but but be a generalist in in practice. Um, I'm oversimplifying there. I, I'd love to know when you, because you've been in the Bay Area now for you know over a decade. You've been in the solar industry, engaged with uh, leaders and with thought leaders and and you know, business practitioners. When I say success story, who comes to your mind in the solar or maybe even broader renewable energy industry and why? Absolutely. Well, we already brought up, you know, great alternatives, Erica Mackey, who's been on your show previously, uh, definitely a role model we look up to and what they've been able to accomplish at that organization has been outstanding. Another one I'll throw out there uh, that listeners may be less familiar with is Ruben Veek and Sunwork Renewable Energy Systems. They're a Bay Area solar installer, but nonprofit solar installer. And they focus on helping mostly individuals. They've helped us install projects up here as well, but they mostly help individuals who don't have a high enough energy need or cost to where your bigger installer would say, oh, it doesn't pencil. They come in and, and with trained volunteers who later can go on into the solar industry with some skills and do these projects. And I've always uh, looked up to Ruben and the way you, he leads with his own, I think he started it, he was at Solar City initially as an installer and then broke off on his own. But Ruben always has led with sort of his passion and just like energy and gets on the roof and kind of, if you if you know Ruben, he's got that kind of wide smile and, and energy that fuels him each day. And, you know, that's something I always look for or look up to and try to try to bring into my own work. Jonas, similarly, you surely have had folks who've leaned in and helped and mentored you along your path. When you think about the mentors along your life and career, what are some of the key lessons or takeaways for you? Yeah, some key lessons is to, to kind of think bigger, I would say, and to, to keep I've had some great mentors, different managers, different roles over time, and they're they're good. You know, one of the lessons I've, I've learned is to step back. Don't always just focus on the trees, but think about the whole forest, right? But also to challenge assumptions or not just keep doing the same thing. So those are kind of two lessons that I think have resonated with me. Oh, going back to the early on story of everybody still learning struggling to get a yes from a nonprofit that want to work with us. Now, now we get too many more requests and we're unfortunately, you know, unable to, to meet, unfortunately at this time, but yeah, but kind of that, you know, not just going about the same way. If you're getting a no over and over again, maybe it's time to iterate and think about, well, how else can we ask this question to where an organization might want to work with us? Right. When you think about, 
you know, the growth that we have experienced in our industry, notably SIA is called the next decade, the solar plus decade. What are you excited about? What do you think are the next big problems that we as an industry need to solve? I'm definitely excited. And you kind of mentioned we've started doing some storage. So storage, I think, is where I'm not an expert on batteries, but following it as I have, I think the cost and reliability of it has changed big time. Sort of like solar, I think, was in the early 2000s, where the cost curves were coming down. So now I think we're going, definitely in the next decade, we're going to see a lot more pairing with that, You know, especially in the Bay Area where you've got wildfires and all that, the ability to maybe have backup solar if you can afford that as it, that it is connected through a battery so you're not always reliant on the grid i think it's going to be huge and part of that grid improving the grid so that like what happened in texas there's no reason in the winter last year when if we have a reliable grid with plenty of renewables connected to it there's no reason something like that should happen i think I think one of the issues we'll be facing, kind of going to the thinking back of those early solar systems installed in the early 2000s, is as those begin to sunset and be scrapped and maybe upgraded, or, you know, I think a lot of them may last longer than 25 years, but once they've reached their useful life, what is the industry going to do to recycle those? And, you know, what, what are the, I don't, I, I don't yet know a great organization doing that or, or working with companies to to make that something that's reliable and a way so we can reuse those materials right and not be pointed at oh you know solar energy is not really green and there are all these panels in landfills we don't want that to happen so i think we need to think about that well Eunice, i have given a book recommendation you've given a book recommendation i would love to know if there's anything that's currently on your nightstand or uh, a book that you routinely sort of go back to that you've pulled or gleaned a lot of leadership or business lessons from? Sure. In terms of kind of a leadership or, or almost inspirational book, I mean, it's a book that many people are going to be familiar with, but I, I just re listened to the audiobook of it recently is Paulo Coelho's The Alchemist, or, because, you know, that, that book really, it's very general, but in a way uh, it talks a lot about reaching for what your potential is and what your true, you know, no, not getting stuck in, in one area, but thinking about what is like your purpose here for those 4,000 weeks to circle to the other book. You know, that's one from, in terms of inspiration. I like, I like Tim Ferriss and his work a lot uh, in terms of time management and trying to do things better and smarter. Yeah. Anything in particular by Ferriss that you are, uh, partial to obviously you got the four hour work for our body uh, uh what is it the tribe of mentors tribe of mentors definitely and four hour work week was the first one i, I definitely picked up and yeah. not that i think many of us accomplished the four hour work week but it, it does have a lot of great tools and a way of thinking about life as an entrepreneur it does indeed and you know he's the first to 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 say that it is not necessarily about the four hour work week, but about how you're spending the time that you need to spend on, uh, on the income so that you can spend the rest of your time on other things. He's definitely not, yeah. he's definitely not working a four hour <laughs> work week, uh, admittedly and, uh, unabashedly, I think at this point, do you have any particular morning or perhaps even evening routines that help anchor you or, or give you a sense of consistency? I mean, in terms of evening routine, I, I try to always get the full night's sleep despite 
everything else going on, you know? Uh, so getting to bed in on time just to make sure I'm fresh and ready to roll. So, what time uh, is that for you on time? Uh, usually between 10 and 11. So that PM. So I'm up by six thirty or so. Um, so, you know, getting that full, full rest is definitely helpful. And then another kind of habit of mine that I think I've it's just enjoyed. It's not something I even had sought out to do too much is constantly listening to audiobooks and podcasts, uh, whether that's when I'm, when I used to have a commute commuting or doing the dishes or in the shower, uh, I get a lot of ideas from different areas through that. I'd love to know what other podcasts besides Suncast, of course, do you listen to? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a broad range of podcasts I enjoy, um, in the non-solar area, but in like kind of science, I love the the podcast skeptics guide to the universe. They're always unpacking different, like, and they talk about clean energy actually quite frequently, uh, and climate change and things like that. But they, they talk about like, Oh, deny denialism and things like that and how they try to go about reacting to that. So I really enjoyed that one, especially during COVID. That, that's a good one. Tim Ferriss' show as well. Uh, always listening to different kind of interviews with great leaders there. So I, I like to get, I guess, just ideas. And your podcast as well, you, when you hear different voices and what different people are doing, it just even if it doesn't directly relate, I think there's things to be learned. I'm to key on something that I know about you that I'll share here as a habit that is evident once I stay it given all the things that you've referenced in the conversation. But I know that you're a user of the, the time tracking tool zero project. And I'd love to, uh, I'd love to hear more. Uh, I mean, it's, it shouldn't be surprising. You, you focused on how do you spend your 4,000 weeks and you're an accountant after all. Uh, but how has tracking your time given you insight or, uh, or, or even joy? Yeah, it's, it, well, it's great to know how much time I'm putting in different areas, right? And so having a good tr- tracking tool, I think is important, uh, whether it's zero projects or any other tool that's out there. I break it out between you know, my accounting work, my everybody's solar work. Uh, I don't track my leisure time through there, but just knowing how much time I'm putting in, even research and things like that, I can kind of look back later and analyze. And I think that helps me get a clear picture of like, oh, well, where did my time go this last week or, or last month and year? And where can I maybe shift that if I want to do more and everybody's solar? What things can I cut uh, to to where I can focus that time? Yeah. I'm going to ask a, a couple of nerdy questions. I assume, therefore, that you're a fan of Zero. So for those who maybe don't understand, Zero Projects is connected with Zero, the accounting software competitor to QuickBooks out of Australia. Uh, why zero over QuickBooks or other software? Yeah, I think that their tool, I, I, I like their tool a lot because they built it from the beginning as a tool for small businesses that be cloud-based. I think QuickBooks Online came from sort of older legacy systems. They, the founders there, I think, were former QuickBooks engineers who started from scratch. And the other piece of it, and I think that's something that's important in the solar industry, and you hear often as the, one of the complaints when people are unhappy with their solar installs, is they have good, great customer support. So there's always somebody I can reach out to, and they're not, you know, they're even though they're a big organization, they don't make you feel like they're too big for your for you, right? And I think that's important when you're 
if you're whether you're a solar installer or whatever service industry or product you have to also make sure that the, your support team is good and you're not just getting some automated n- number that doesn't you know lead anywhere are you working with folks in, in the solar industry on a personal accounting basis or company accounting yeah occasionally i do you know I, uh, because of my interest there's definitely people who reach out i recently had a, a new client come to me and it was a question i hadn't fully looked at because often they'll do people's say tax return and it's taking advantage of the tax credit for their own home residence. But I had a recent analysis I did. It was a really interesting project for, for a great couple that lives in the Bay area that wanted, wants to put solar on their rental property. And that's a different calculation uh, because it's the credit is taken somewhere else. And I don't, I won't go down the rabbit hole, but it's, because it's a passive activity and how that affects things. So yeah, I do I do occasionally work with folks in that area. Well, I'd, I'd actually love to invite you back for a Tech Tuesday at some point. We can go down the rabbit hole. I think there are definitely listeners who would love to hear it. I'm looking at putting solar not only on my own house, but on uh, a, uh, one or more of our rental properties as well. Uh, it'd be fantastic to be able to get you back as our sort of resident in- industry uh, accountant uh, guide to give us the insights that you have gleaned, not not as professional accounting advice, of course, but simply for you and I to have a discussion that other folks can uh, can eavesdrop on. Well, Jonas, I'm gonna have to uh, release you back to the wild, back to your uh, busy accounting schedule. I'm so grateful for the time that you've given us. Where, if folks are so inclined, can folks engage with you? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Nico. It's great. I would look forward to that. Uh, people can find me uh, through everybodysolar.org, our website. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Eunice underscore Scally, as well as Everybody Solar is on there. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn. So you can look me up there as well. Reach out. Fantastic. We'll link to all of those, as we always do, in the show notes. Last question, as we always ask, it's a bold prediction. Eunice, what one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Yeah, I think this is something that people are tracking, but I, one thing I'm I'm seeing and we're probably seeing right now, and I think it's going to continue, is that the spike in energy costs, especially with natural gas, and I think that provides a great opportunity and risk to clean energy. Following a little bit of the politics of what's going on in Europe, some people are trying to blame clean energy for the spike in renewable uh, in the cost of nat- gas. So I think clean energy you know, over the next decade, we're going to continue to see that trend, and it'll be a great opportunity for clean energy, but also some risks involved. Fascinating. Well, we'll be tracking that here, and if we need any additional insights, we'll certainly have you back, Eunice. Scully is the executive director and co-founder of Everybody Solar. Do take a chance and go to everybodysolar.org. I challenge you all to one of you become that missing NARA level sponsor. And Yunus, if we get that pop socket taken care of, I'll be sure to share it out with folks. Keep your ears out and certainly subscribe to Eunice's newsletter will he'll certainly share it out to the world because he'll get more money from the suncast pop socket than from others <laughs> all right solar warrior well i gotta say thanks once again to Yunus for sharing from his knowledge and expanding hours on just what it takes to put a nonprofit together and how that can be meaningful as a main gig or a side hustle another congrats once again for a decade of everybody 
Solar. Super proud of that organization. And again, for those of you that are joining us in North America on this Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving holiday weekend, I hope that you are enjoying the holiday with your loved ones, that you are full of not just food, but love, and that you receive our deep gratitude here at Suncast. Thank you for being a listener on the show. Hey, if you've been wondering how you can partner with Suncast as a sponsor, get coaching from me personally to help scale your clean energy business, transition into the solar industry, or maybe just commune with other like-minded souls, you can find all of that and more over online at mysuncast.com. And while you're online, hope that you'll go on to LinkedIn and share how this episode has impacted you or share it with someone else that you think that it will impact. Join us again next week for our Tactical Tuesday, practical advice on how to lean in and grow your career or business in the solar and clean energy industry. And next Thursday, we've got my friend, Anand Fishman, talking about microgrids and product commercialization. It's going to be a fun one. I know that you will enjoy it. Thanks to our sponsors who help make this free to you. You can find out more about them and what they can offer for your business at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. Happy Turkey Day.